Please turn in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 4. So we're about a month into our verse-by-verse study through the, uh, through the book of Acts, Luke's second letter, which is actually a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. And he gives us the history and the, uh, and the outline of the church. And so uh, let's take a look at it this morning. And um, Acts chapter 4, verse 1. It says, As they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And the next day, the rulers and the elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all were of high priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, we are on trial today for the benefit done to a sick man. As to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders by which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, and they had nothing to say. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And here it is, family, the, the, the money verse we like to say around here. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, for you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And that was their response to the pressure to be silenced here in the very early stages of the church. Acts chapter 4 Um, if you study this passage in whole and you look at it, the words and the language and the words that Luke uses, this passage, this is probably one of the most intense moments in the book of Acts. This is where the newly formed Christians, the disciples, John and Peter, are coming face to face with the religious leaders. It's very, very intense in this, them butting heads, them colliding. This is one group is saying we've got to preach the gospel. The other group is saying shut your mouth and we're going to see who prevails in our passage this morning. One of the greatest honors we have in this life is sharing Jesus 
with the lost, telling others about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. For without the righteousness that comes from trusting in Christ, sinners will perish on judgment day. But friends and family, we have the answer. You have the answer if Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. You have the answer of how to find forgiveness of sin and eternal life. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Why? And, and, and I'm putting me in this group too now. This is all of us. Why are we so hesitant to share the gospel? Why are we embarrassed to share the gospel? Why do we stay silent? We have the words of eternal life. We have the keys to eternal life. We have the keys to help someone find forgiveness of all their sin. We have the the message that brings peace and joy with God through the gospel of Christ Jesus. The title of my message this morning is this. We will not be silent. And we can't be silent. The world wants us to stay silent. Satan wants you to stay silent. But God wants us to proclaim to every person we come in contact with the glorious good news of Jesus Christ and introduce them to Christ, our great and awesome God. We will not stay silent. And that's what they're facing in this passage. It's a very uh, intense confrontation between John and Peter and the Sadducees. So with that context, that opening, let's dive into this passage and study it verse by verse. It says in Acts chapter 4 verse 1, And they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them. Context. Last week in chapter 3, God used Peter to heal a man who had been lame from birth. And this caused a huge reaction from all the people there at the portico of Solomon at the Temple Mount. And Peter takes this opportunity to preach the gospel to the crowd. And what does it say in verse 1? It says the Sadducees came up. Everywhere in the New Testament this phrase came up. It doesn't mean that they just kind of casually just kind of walked up and meandered up to see what was going on. This, this phrase came up in the original language. It means they came suddenly, without warning. Peter and John are preaching the gospel. People are opening their hearts to Jesus, and the religious leaders just pop in. They pop in. Why? Because they don't like what they're hearing. Verse 2, it says that. Look at verse 2. Being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees, friends, were greatly disturbed, according to verse 2. Why? Because they were teaching the resurrection from the dead. Peter's preaching made the Sadducees very angry. You see, their theology, they were liberal. Their theology was weak and watered down, and very liberal. It was not biblical. It was not in accordance with Scripture. John the Baptist called these men a brood of vipers, and he commanded them to repent. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 6, he he said that their teaching was leaven, meaning the the, the teaching of the Sadducees was, was poison. It was poison. They denied 
the immortality of the soul, the Sadducees. They basically said, when you die, that's it, lights out, there's nothing else. And we know that's not true. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 says, For the Christian to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Your soul, is when you, step in, when you die and you step into eternity, your soul is going to live forever. Okay? And they, were teach, they taught that it didn't. It, it ceased to exist. They denied the resurrection. They hated the thought of the resurrection. Uh, they were a godless religion. The Sadducees, they were very sad, you see. All right, praise the Lord. Some of y'all got that. But the Sadducees, they were very sad in their theology. In their theology, their religion, their religion was about controlling the people. It was about controlling the masses. It was about a group of men being in charge. So they took all the supernatural out of it. They took the gospel out of it. And they used scripture and they used their Old Testament religion to control the people. Family, that's not what the church is about. We're not about controlling you. We're about teaching you how to follow Jesus. We're about teaching you um, the precepts of Scripture and how to find liberty for your soul and how to find freedom in Christ and how, how to go out and live an abundant life for Christ Jesus. That's what we're about. We're not about controlling you. We're about introducing you to the Savior and helping you live for him. Verse 3 says, and they laid hands on them, and they put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. That really just speaks volumes about the heart of the Sadducees. These men, God, through Peter, healed this man who had been lame. They, they brought healing, okay? Who would not see a man in his, 40, in his 40s, he was well into his 40s, this, this passage is going to tell us, he had been supernaturally healed. You would think that they would be rejoicing and celebrating this lame man's healed. But no, they didn't like this. So what did they do? They put them in jail. Another reason they put them in jail, according to Jewish law, you couldn't have a trial at night. You couldn't have a trial under the cover of dark. And they were going to wait till the next morning to have the trial. However, think about it. When was Jesus' trial? At night. So maybe they got a little better here. You know, they didn't give Jesus that, that opportunity, but they gave the men that opportunity. But look at verse 4. The gospel is powerful when it's preached biblically. Verse 4 says, But many of those who had heard the message believed. The number of the men came to about 5,000. So before these guys go to jail, many people came to Jesus. The church was growing rapidly. There was uh, 3,000 came to Christ uh, the other week. Now we have um, 5,000 coming to Christ. The church is growing rapidly because the gospel is that powerful and it's that life-changing. Verse 5 says, On the next day the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all were of high priestly descent. It's interesting that Luke mentions in verse 4 the people that were in attendance. This Annas that's mentioned in verse 6 says, Annas the high priest, this is the same Annas that interrogated Jesus, and you'll find that in John chapter 18. Annas's guard struck Jesus for the way he spoke to Annas. It was a very hostile, another, again, when the truth of Christianity comes face to face with religion, it is a very hostile situation. They struck Jesus. This Caiaphas, this mentioned in verse 6, he was the son of Annas who ruled over the Sanhedrin. 
John chapter 11, verses 46 through 53, tell us that this Caiaphas, he wanted Jesus dead. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 3 through 5, this same Caiaphas here plotted to murder Jesus. And from our note takers in Mark chapter 14, verse 65, this Caiaphas and his buddies, they did a very evil thing to Jesus. They, they, they blindfolded him, they put a bag over his head, and then they punched him in the face as he was being turned around. And then, and then with him not being able to see and Jesus getting punched in the face, they mocked him and they said, prophesy Christ, who hit you? And the passage also tells us that they spit on Jesus. Do you sense the venom and the anger that these religious men had toward Jesus and his disciples? They hated Jesus. They hated Jesus, and now they're hating his followers. It's kind of like uh, John chapter 18 to 20 was round one. Now here in Acts chapter 4, we got round two. Round two with the disciples. It just continues. You would think that they witnessed the death. They witnessed the crucifixion. They heard of the resurrection. They saw the life change. But their hearts, the Sadducees' hearts, were so hardened. They were so blinded by their sin and their unbelief. Their unbelief. Verse 7 says, And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or what name have you done this? I'm going to read a couple verses and come back. Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, um, if we are on trial today for the benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, verse 10 says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. And the reason I wanted to read verses 7 through 10 is... Uh, the, the key word in verse 7, the Greek word is sue, and it's the word you. Look at verse 7. He says, by what power or in what name have you done this? In the original Greek, the word you is on the very end of the verse. So if you're reading it in Greek with English words, it would sound like this. By what power or in what name have done this you? I mean, this was a direct attack on the disciples. And then if you notice down in verse 10, Peter responds with that same Greek word, you, three times. Let it be known to all of you whom you crucified before you in good health. So huge change in Peter's life. Something has happened. He couldn't even stand for Jesus. He, couldn't, he denied Jesus. But now he's emboldened and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And notice also in verse 7, it says, when they had placed them in the center. They placed him in the center. In other words, the Sadducees, in the same way they did Jesus of Nazareth, surrounding him, now they surround the disciples, and they are wanting to intimidate them. By what power or in what name have done this you? This is an attacking question. This question is asked with contempt to the disciples. They did not like the disciples. They were just a bunch of rednecks from Red Bank. I mean, Galilee. I can say that. I live in Red Bank. 
okay? <laughs> but they were, they, they were just a bunch of crazy old guys. They had no respect for the disciples. This was a personal attack. They, it was meant to humiliate Peter and John. Put yourself there, man. You're just this disciple, this fisherman, and you're surrounded by all the religious leaders with all their drab and all their respected garb and, and who they are. It would be a very intimidating thing. But let's see how Peter responds to this pressure. He is in the kettle. He is, he is in the pot. The water is starting to boil, and he's on the inside, and the Sadducees are wrapped around him, ready to smoke him. But look at verse 8. Then Peter, filled, what? Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. He says, he makes a very respectful statement, but this time he's not making the statement in his own power. He's making his statement by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in verse 8. What was it that enabled Peter to face the, the fierce opposition of the Sadducees? It was the filling of the Holy Spirit. It had nothing to do with Peter. Okay, Peter was just a common man, just like you and me. It was the power of God operating inside of Peter that rose up and gave him the boldness to be a witness to these men. Uh, family, without the empowerment and continual filling of the Holy Spirit, our witness will lack. What we need is the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in us and through us in our witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be prayed up, filled up, and yielded for our witness to be effective. Uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, You shall receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's not just enough to know the right things to say. Even though our witness need, does need to be grounded in the word of God. And we need to use scripture in our witness. But we also need the dynamic, the filling of the Holy Spirit in our witness. Every, every time I think I'm going to witness to someone. Or if I go out and evangelize. It starts in prayer it starts in prayer where I clear my mind of the worries of this life and I ask the Holy Spirit to give me power to give me strength not that it's me but that it's the Holy Spirit operating through me that it'll bring deep conviction and that's exactly what Peter does here he says in verse 9 for if we are on trial for the benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well. Peter's like, are you kidding me? I cannot believe you're even asking this question. We didn't rob the temple. We didn't steal anything from anybody. We brought healing to a lame man. Something that your liberal theology couldn't do. The power of the gospel did. I mean, it's, it was good. It was good. Good things were happening for this lame man. God was showing his grace and mercy to this lame man. And he was demonstrating the power of the gospel. And that healing also opened up the opportunity for Peter to open air preach there at the portico of Solomon. It was amazing. And he says in verse 10, remember back in verse 7 how I said in the Greek, by what power or in what name have done this you? But our English translation puts the you, the third word from the end of the sentence. 
we'll look at Peter uses that same word in verse 10. He says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom, here it is again, you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He gave all the glory to Christ. He gave all the glory to the Lord. Peter wasn't this super apostle. You know, we, they, they, they need to take down the statues of him. If he was here on earth, he would tear all those statues down. He would have all those places uh, torn down. He, there's nothing special about him. He was just a common man like you and I being used mightily by the Holy Spirit. And look at what he says at verse, verse 11. This is beautiful. Verse 11, he says, He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, by which became the chief cornerstone. Friends, they foolishly rejected Jesus. Foolishly rejected the Messiah. They rejected the only way, the only truth, and the only life. They rejected forgiveness of sins. They rejected the life of God because of their ignorance. But today, because you've opened your heart to Christ, he is your cornerstone. He is the cornerstone of our lives. It's amazing. In a building structure, the cornerstone is the first brick that's laid on the foundation. Everything else in the structure is built on that one cornerstone. If the cornerstone is off, the whole building is off. But if the cornerstone is properly placed, everything else is set right. Is Christ Jesus the cornerstone of your life? That's what it's about. That's what this whole Christianity thing is about. Is, you, is after you receive him as your Lord and Savior, then you start building the foundation and placing everything in life upon the foundation of Christ. The foundation of our heart is on the Lord Jesus Christ. The foundation of our will is on the Lord Jesus Christ. The foundation of our affections is on Christ Jesus. That's what it means when our life is built on his foundation. Is he at the center of your life? Or as uh, scripture says, is he Lord of your life. That's where God wants to take every Christian, the eternal creator, the sovereign Lord of the universe, wants you to build your life upon him and your foundation of him. Hebrews 13, 8 says, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The most wisest, greatest thing that you can do with the rest of of your life, whatever amount of days you have left, if you think you have 10 years left or you have 70 years left, is build your entire life upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He will never leave you, he will never forsake you, and he will be there with you from this life all the way into eternity. He's an amazing God, and I hope and pray he's the cornerstone of your life. Look at verse 12, and he, this, this, this cancel out all other religions. Verse 12. It says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Look at the scripture, look at the verse, family. Verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. 
In the original Greek, that means there is salvation in no one else. Okay? In other words, there is no other name. If you believe and trust in Muhammad for salvation, you will perish on judgment day. If you believe and trust in Hare Krishna for salvation, you will perish on judgment day. If you believe and trust in Buddha for salvation, you will perish on judgment day. If you believe and trust in atheism, you will perish on judgment day. And here's the big one. This is the one that all those like, no, no, I don't know anybody who trusts in those. But if you believe and trust, and this is the big one today, if you believe and trust in yourself for salvation, you will perish on judgment day. Jesus Christ leads to salvation and a blessed life. And all other religious roads lead to destruction and hell. Those are not my words. Those are Jesus' words. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. And ready for, read the rest of the verse. And I, I am the way, the truth, like no one comes to the Father except by me. He is the exclusive and only way. He established that in John chapter 14. And here Luke is reemphasizing it through the words of Peter in verse 12. There's salvation in no other, no, no one else. There's no other name. We're, we're not all going up different, different sides of the mountain to the same point. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Um, verse 13. Now, and verse 13 is going to give us some insight into the Sadducees' thinking as they are surrounding the disciples in this confrontation. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. This word un, uneducated is agoratimos. It means illiterate. It means unlearned. The word untrained is, uh, the Greek word is idiotes, which we get the word idiot. The, the Sadducees were, in this circle of this room, the Sadducees were circling John and Peter. They were looking down the barrel of their nose, and they considered these disciples illiterate, unlearned, ignorant idiots. That's what the text says. Go, go look up these words. They, they had disdain for them. They did not like them. They thought they had put Jesus to death, and this thing was over, and it's not over. Now there's word he's been risen from the dead. Now he's having to deal with these disciples, and they did not like them. They considered them uneducated. But notice what it says in verse 13. It says they were amazed. They were like, wow. How can these unlearned men, these idiots, how can they know so much? Don't they understand we're the Sadducees? We're the power of, of the Temple Mount? We control all the worship here? How dare they bow up their chest at us? They consider them illiterate. The disciples were not college-educated men. And yes, there were institutions of higher education in the first century. But the disciples did attend a seminary. The disciples attended the master's seminary. Verse, verse 13, look at it. The very end of verse 13. They had been with who? They had been with Jesus. They had walked with the master. They went to the highest 
level of education, the highest level of understanding. They went to the greatest university of all time. They walked and talked with the Lord Jesus Christ. They spent time with the master. They spent time with the Lord. And you and I, friends, we can have that same wisdom. We can have that same understanding. We can have that same love and compassion and devotion to Christ. By what? By spending time with the Lord Jesus. In the first century and in today, there is a very sinful pride in the realm of higher education. People with PhDs and college degrees who think that they are smarter than the Bible. They laugh at a literal creation, a flood that covered the earth, and a man dying on the cross for the sins of the world. Some people think it's a, it's a fairy tale, and it's just all made up. Well, God addresses this group of people in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 21, and I want to show it to you. God addresses these people who think they're smarter than him and his word. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, for the word, and by the way, I did not capitalize that. When you see capital letters in, in the New Testament, that is a quote from the Old Testament. But uh, through the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. And then he says, it's like a provoking question. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. You know, when you come to Christ in the area of knowledge and understanding, there's a humility in our hearts that should take over as Christians. And we should take on the heart of a disciple, of a pupil, of a learner, and say, Lord, teach me. And when you open your heart to God with that spirit, Lord, I don't understand everything. You know, I've been indoctrinated by this world, but Lord, will you teach me? When you come to him with that heart, he will teach you. He will teach you true wisdom. You know what wisdom is? What the word wisdom is? The word wisdom is, is, the, um, is the art of skillful living. You want to live skillfully? You want to live razor sharp? You want to know your destiny, your purpose, and why you're here? Get to know God. And you get to know God by studying his word and reading his word and opening your heart to him. The, the foolish, 1 Corinthians 18 through 21 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 21. The foolish are people who are wise in their own eyes. They disregard the word of God. They trust in their own thinking. They trust in themselves. How many times? I hear that a lot. I, I, I trust in myself. I, I trust in myself. Jeremiah 17, 7 says, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Our confidence is not even in ourselves. Okay? Our confidence is is in the Lord Jesus, in him, in God. He is our confidence. He is our life. And the Sadducees, they didn't see that. Again, you go back and you study the Sadducees. They were not biblical. They weren't even faithful to the Old Testament. They just wanted to control the masses 
and controlled the Temple Mount and controlled the worship in Jerusalem, and they got way off from the Bible. Verse 14, look who shows back up. Look who shows back up in verse 14. This is pretty cool. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. Look at what it says about the lame man, in case you're wondering about his status. Standing with them. And the key word in this verse is with. It doesn't say that the lame man was just, he was just standing over there. It says in the text that the lame man who had been healed was standing with, with them. In other words, the lame man was now a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was no longer standing with the world. He was no longer standing with the religious system. He was standing in his faith in Christ Jesus alongside the disciples. His heart, can you just imagine being lame from birth? The text, we're going to read it. I think it's in our text. It's either in our text this morning or it might be the second half of um, Acts chapter 4. But it's going to tell us he was, into, he was into his 40s. But he had been supernaturally healed. He came to his senses he used his common sense and the Holy Spirit opening his eyes and opening his heart. And now he's standing with the disciples. He's standing with the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends and family, we don't stand alone, okay? We stand together, united as brothers and sisters in Christ, along with all the other churches in the area that are Christian, that are following Christ. We stand united and we stand together under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was standing with them. And then notice the uh, Sadducees, the, the, the educated, high and philosophical and religious men. What does the end of verse 14 say? They had nothing to say in reply. They had no answer. How can you answer when you've seen the miracle? You know, they, 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 they knew, they likely, this the text last week says that this man had been at the gate beautiful begging for alms on a regular basis. They had likely seen him for days, weeks, years. We don't know how much time, but they had seen him a lot. And they knew that he was a lame man. And now he's standing with the disciples and their mouths are shut. You cannot reject the facts. Verse 14. Had nothing to say in reply. Look at verse 15. But when they had ordered them to leave the council... They began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them and is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Verse 17, But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. Verse 18, And when they had summoned them, they commanded them, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They did not ask the disciples, please be silent, please be quiet, please don't say this no more. No, what does the word say? They commanded them. They, they commanded them to shut your mouth, zip it, no more, bring it to a close. They were very confrontational. They're saying we cannot deny the facts, but what we'll do, we'll silence them because their hearts weren't open to the truth. 
Friends and family, today, Satan wants to silence you in your witness for Christ Jesus. He wants to silence you and, and keep you quiet. He, he reminds you of your failures. He reminds you of your, um, the times that you've fallen and, and backslidden. And he tells you that you're unworthy to share the gospel. He wants to keep you quiet. But when he reminds you of that, you need to remind him that your past is under the blood, that you are a new creature in Christ who's not perfect, and you need to continue to be a witness for him. The world wants to silence us. They want us to stay quiet and stop speaking the name of Jesus. Please understand this, though. Staying silent can be deadly for your soul. Staying silent can be dead for your soul. Let's look at some verses. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Luke 9, 26. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. You know, I've been there. I've experienced it. Sometimes we feel pressure from the world around us to just stay silent and to not speak in the name of Jesus. But it's in that moment where we feel the pressure, just like the disciples here in Acts chapter 4, it's in that moment we need to dig deep and proclaim it louder than ever. Proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are we ashamed? Why are we embarrassed? I've been intimidated before. And there's been times where I haven't spoken the name of Jesus when I had the opportunity to. And you know what happened? I regretted it later. I regretted it later, and I was like, man, I missed an opportunity. And I repent, and I say, Lord, help me, help me to get the next one. Christ offers eternal life, forgiveness of sin, new life in Christ, a hope, a new start. There's nothing to be ashamed of in sharing with people the good news of Christ Jesus. He liberates them, he sets them free, and he gives them a brand new life. He takes the weight and the burden of sin off our shoulders, and he gives us his liberty and freedom. That's why Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let's not be ashamed. Let's not be arrogant and let's not be jerks. Let's do it in a spirit of love and a spirit of truth and a spirit of grace. But let's never be ashamed of the gospel. Verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Basically what he's saying is we will not shut up. And we will not be silent. We fear God more than we fear man. Matthew chapter 10 verse 28 says, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You know, we don't care. We don't care what laws are passed or what those in authority say. We understand that if anyone steps into eternity without the knowledge of Jesus, they will spend eternity in hell. Therefore, any law or restriction 
that prohibits us from speaking in the name of Jesus, that law can go to the place called hell, period. We must speak his name. His name brings life. His name brings healing. His name brings forgiveness. His name brings uh, healing and wholeness for our life. I don't know about you, but before Christ, I was spiraling downward. I was going down the wrong path, and, and, and I feel very confident to say I would not be here today if it wasn't for Christ Jesus changing my life, changing my heart, changing my heart, but also changing my life. What an awesome God we serve. Verse 21, and when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis which to punish them on the account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. Verse 22, our last verse, for the man was more, there it is, this was the verse I was talking about a while ago, for the man was more than 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. Again, in this confrontation, I go back to the issue at hand. And the issue at hand was a man being healed. A man being healed. God brings good into the world. He brings salvation into the world. He brings healing into the world. He heals our, our heart. He heals our mind. He heals our physical body. He, he, he brings new life. This is beautiful. This is glorious. This is amazing. We need more of Jesus in this world. We need more of his principles, more of his precepts in our world today. And friends, that's where you and I come in. We are the salt and light of the world. God has sprinkled us across the landscape of Irmo and Columbia and Lexington and all across South Carolina and Christians everywhere so that we could be salt and light in the world and to bring his life-changing message and truth to the gospel. So what did we learn this morning from this passage, Acts chapter 4, verse 1 through 22? Three, three principles that we can take home from this passage. Number one is help us to repent for the times that we've been ashamed and embarrassed of the gospel. I've got times in my past where I was embarrassed or ashamed or caught off guard and not know what to say and tripped over my words and just, you know, hesitated because of the pressure around me. I need to repent of those. If there's situations in your life, you need to repent of those also. Secondly, the power of the Holy Spirit. What we need is the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in our lives, in our witness, to our children, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our relatives and the people in the community. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, we see, you know, they survived, the disciples, John and Peter, they survived the pressure cooker. And God gives them an amazing boldness. It's not till you've gone through the fire. It's not till you've been in the pressure cooker and you've got some leather on your back uh, from persecution or, or difficulty or a trying time. It's then when you are empowered with boldness. And that's what I prayed this morning, that God will give us more of his Holy Spirit, that God will give us boldness, and we will say with the Apostle Paul in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed 
of the gospel of Christ Jesus. And as Peter and John witnessed to these Sadducees and witnessed to the people at the Solomon Portico, let you and I be a witness to the love, grace, and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ in our world today. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. And Father, we've, we've learned a lot through, through the, by our faith in Scripture. We've had a front row seat. You've taken us back 2,000 years ago to Peter and John's confrontation. Lord, help us today to have that same boldness. Lord, help us today to have that same deep conviction. Lord, help us today to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness and to be a light in the world around us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And it's not in our own strength, it's not in our own doing, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. So empower us, Lord, and remind us as we go out this week and in the days, weeks, months, and years to come that before we share the gospel, we need to say a prayer and ask for your power to work in and through us. First, in Jesus' mighty name I pray. 